Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, today, I have a colleague that I met uh, just recently in Rome and had the pleasure of sitting through her workshop, which was quite fascinating. And this is Avinda a, a LaRoya, and she's based in Switzerland. And she's done some fascinating work. I often say that, uh, you know, when they say, do you need a lawyer? Um, you, you know, it's good to have the best lawyer, but also when you're looking at mediating situations, um, the other end of it, um, Avinder does both, which I loved sitting through uh, what she shared with us in Rome. So Avinder, thanks so much uh, for coming on and spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me, Roxanne. I'm really pleased to be here and, and uh, to speak to you about mediation today. So let's talk a little bit, you know, um, about your path. Like I often say that, you know, most of us, and I, you know, I know you being from an Indian background, you know, that there are families and I, you tell me if I'm out of line in saying this, they want us to kind of do, go off and do certain traditional roles. My, you know, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, or a nurse of which I didn't fall into any of those categories. And clearly you, took one of the traditional roles. So tell me about the path, about what made you pick the legal the legal field initially and now mediation, and we'll talk about that shift. Sure, I mean, yeah, you hit it, the nail on the head, you know, growing up in an Indian uh, heritage home. I mean, I grew up in, I was born and brought up in the UK, but, you know, a home is very much Indian heritage um, environment. And, you know, my family are very, much um, um, focused on education and education helps to bring learning and advancement. So the idea of going to university was a must, but I actually had the opportunity to choose what I wanted to study. Um, I come from a family of engineers and, and medical people. So the fact that I wanted to study law was quite different to them. Although um, saying that, uh, back in India, my family um, have always been in service, so I always served in the in the army, the navy, uh, air force, and in in government. So, um, so it wasn't completely uh, unique in that sense. But I had the opportunity to decide that I wanted to serve um, as, as a lawyer, and I I think watching um, programs growing up like L.A. Law and Rompol of the Old Bailey and you know I was fascinated with the whole court kind of dramatic dramas that were going on in TV when I was growing up and I was fascinated I've always enjoyed English history and drama and I just felt like the law was something that I could amalgamate all three of my favorite subjects and um, I, I like um, talking to people I like networking I could never really see myself sitting in a lab you know mixing chemicals and stuff because that just did not excite me at all 
So that's... And I, I would say you're the untraditional lawyer in that uh, I didn't know she was the lawyer in the room until she says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a lawyer. And I go, oh, OK, because I thought of her in that, that lens of mediator, which is it's, it's such a different flow. So tell me, OK, so obviously your, your practice um, was in, in London and now you're in Switzerland. So what happened? I mean, you had a lucrative career in, in law. Um, what made you want to make the shift? You know, obviously you, you've been in law now going for a long time. And then at some point you started your mediation, um, international mediation practice. What was the thought process or did you kind of fall into it? What happened? Well, I started my own virtual law firm as Lehman Brothers was collapsing. So out of um, economic downturns, a lot of people, um, become entrepreneurial. So I, I had a client following at that time. And I just to give you a bit of a background, and I decided I didn't want to work for a traditional law firm, I didn't like the atmosphere, I felt that things could be done more efficiently. And I was very much interested in what was going on in the States, especially in Silicon Valley, the whole concept of virtual law using technology, I've um, always been a fan of technology and how it can actually help you to deliver client services and deliver uh, legal work without to the traditional constraints and certainly it being more cost effective for clients as well. Um, and so I, in 2010, I actually founded my own virtual law firm with my business partner and it's been rolling along since then. And I've always been a commercial transactional lawyer, especially in commercial real estate. And then um, around 2015, I decided I had the opportunity to go to a conference in, in Sweden and it opened my eyes to the world of arbitration and mediation. And I was really fascinated with the flexibility and just the example that was provided as to how it really helped to build bridges with, mm -hmm. without getting into the legal jargon or the legal process um, and allowing and empowering the people that were there within the dispute to really speak up for themselves. Mm. So I was really intrigued about these procedures. It was not something that I was um, familiar with, having been on the tra transactional side for many years. <clears throat> and I um, decided to delve further into it and I did my Chartered Institute of Arbitrators exams. So I'm a Chartered Arbitrator. I, I decided to go the arbitration route initially because it was leg it's legally binding. You know, right. it's a legal process. It's an adversarial process. So it's something that I was more familiar with. But it um, then I had the opportunity to, to study uh, an LLM in Geneva. It's a very a uh, focus program called the MIDS and it's it's quite prestigious where a lot of the top arbitrators and dispute resolution experts come in and fly into Geneva and, and you know, help us uh, to learn the different uh, tools and techniques of international dispute settlement. And part of that, you know, we managed to go into the UN, the WTO, the Hague and the Netherlands. Um, and, you know, it's a, it was a fantastic experience um, at, you know, 
at a, a very elite level of the law, I guess. Absolutely. What a what an amazing opportunity to be able to be trained in that in that space at that, you know, high level and to be able to take that back to kind of, you know, the the mediation practice that I know you've you've developed. Now people are people, um, Avinder, like at the end of the day, you like you said, on the legal end, there's constraints. And oftentimes you get into polarized positions relatively quickly. Mediation is on the, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's on the complete pendulum end, but what is kind of help us understand how you being from these both worlds, what are, what are the differences between when you're on the legal end versus the or the mediation end and, and what are you doing differently with people? That's a great question. And it's, they are complete polar opposites because <laughs> okay. as a as a lawyer as, as people are familiar with they would go to a lawyer they would tell their problem or the documentation and as a lawyer I, I would review the information review what they're telling me and provide advice and you know take matters further uh, whether it's a, a legal claim or whether it's you know drafting a, a suitable response so I'm, I'm very much in the in the uh, seat of being an advisor and an enabler to move to to take the problem away now as a mediator it's completely opposite um, i am not advising i am not enabling in the sense of um, taking the matter away from the client as a mediator it's really about helping someone and the, the parties in dispute to really understand what's what's the real crux of the of the of the problem by facilitating and listening to the dispute so i'm not telling them what to do i'm not telling them how to respond i'm really helping them to figure out why what is the problem what 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 is the, what are the issues because often when people are in conflict or in dispute they don't even know why they're so why they're in conflict with the other person they just have a lot of emotional anger and so it's we don't even look i don't as a mediator i don't look at the legal arguments i look at the people and i and i really help to listen and mm -hmm. to and, and help them and help them to reflect on what their needs are. And sometimes their needs may be not something that may be um, applicable in law. For instance, the dispute may be regarding a breach of contract, but what they're actually, when he delved down into speaking to them, is they were actually um, wanted an apology or they were wanted to be heard. And those aspects are not, ever really considered in a in a legal case mm -hmm. so as a mediator i'm really there to listen and facilitate discussion between the two disputing parties or however many there are um as compared to being a, a lawyer where i'm really there advising that one person that one party how to do battle with the other side so it's so one lane different. right like as a lawyer you're like this is your lane we're going to stay in this lane but from a, a mediative perspective, what you're doing is you're really getting to know the landscape of that person internally, kind of like who's important, what's important, you know, like if they were to 
achieve, you know, resolution, you know, what would it look like, you know, and, and what would have, have to happen for us to, to get along the way. And then you're doing it with two parties, obviously. Um, so you're, you're trying to, you know, balance continually to, to get them a, a bit closer together. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, I have no vested interest, really, as a mediator, whether they settle or not, I have absolutely no vested interest. So really, for me, as a neutral and independent mediator, it's really about helping the two parties to listen and understand each other, because they're not able to have achieved that directly, they've ended up in deadlock, mm -hmm. um, as often is the case because we're often talking over one another and not really listening to what the person is saying because we are so heightened with our emotions and anger, even by being in the same room as that person, sometimes it can incite so much emotion. So often in mediation, parties are not even in the same room. Right, and sometimes, and, so there's times that they are and are able to and then times that they're not. There are different schools of thought with mediation. Some mediators, um, would never have the parties in the same room. Some may um, start off in separate rooms and then bring them together at some point. It all depends. Every dispute, every party is different and every mediator is different in their style as well. And it's a journey as well, learning peace building and mediation skills. There are many techniques and tools that can be used. And really, it, it's all about being focused on the people in front of you and mm -hmm. to gain the trust quickly, because as a mediator, I'm neutral. So I'm on I'm no one's side and I'm on everyone's side, in a right, sense. And if right. that trust is broken, then that's game over for the mediation. So really, it's a matter of working with the, the people in dispute as to what 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 is it what what did they want to get out of this the day it's a voluntary process mm -hmm. as well that has to be uh, brought forward because it, it's a voluntary process they can leave whenever they want mm -hmm. as well and not all mediations do end up in settlement and sometimes depending on the parties involved mediation may also not be suitable sometimes some disputes do need to go to to, to arbitration to arbitration or okay. arbitration so i'm curious when i think of your skill sets right like i'm thinking we're saying it's, we're, we're, it's polar opposite and you were practicing law for a long time and then you go and you get this amazing training what were some of the, the things that you struggled with at times as you trained to become were there things that you struggled with or things that you really had to to hone in on that skill um to be able to because, you know, like, you know, you were doing law for like, what, 10, 15 years, and then you start mediation. I, I, I'm curious about that experience for you. Yes, that's a great question. And I, it's a continual journey for me, to be honest with you. Um, one of the main skills of mediation is listening. Now, you think that that's a really easy skill, you know. But the thing is, we actually, in our education, we're not formally taught how to listen. We think we're listening. And oftentimes when we listen, it's listen to respond or listen to, you know, um, to, um, to, to prove your point, but it's, I, but never listening without judgment. Mm. So, um, one of the other things as a mediator is to be aware of our biases, 
you know, to working through. And so that takes a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness mm -hmm. as well. So it's a constant, as a mediator, it's certainly a constant exercise as to when I'm liaising with someone, am I, you know, how am I, how am I thinking about that person? Or am I thinking, because really I shouldn't have any thoughts, but I'm human. At the end and of the we day. all have bias. We all have biases, right? So I think that reflective lens, and I think I I talk a little bit about that skill in my book because it's so very important that you really have to recognize in being human we judge, but it's also a form of protection because that's kind of how we are wired. But to kind of learn to sit in quiet, to to drop that lens, to say I'm going to respond to say someone that looks a certain way or acts a certain way versus kind of saying what what is what is my brain and my body telling me about that person uh, versus yes. kind of saying okay is it is it based on fact or what is it based on and learning from that and also we also judge by how people communicate to us sometimes some people are better at communicating their needs and wants than others so naturally we judge the one who cannot express themselves better uh, in a certain way and that yeah, but one has to catch themselves when they're doing that because perhaps English isn't their native language or they're just finding it difficult to find the words, especially in a heightened sense of emotion, as often people are in disputes. It's um, difficult for them to express their needs. And so um, as a mediator, when I'm, if I've got two different parties and one is more eloquent than the other, expressing their needs, I have to watch myself as because it's easy to get led by the person who's the calmest person in the room. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's having that awareness and then helping the person that's not able to bring out their um, their needs to help them to um, to find the words in a sense in, in their own way, in their own style and, and be able to bring whatever information that they want to express to the other person uh, in a way that they communicate in their language and their style, because we all have sometimes disputes happen because they have different styles of communication and that has caused the clash because naturally right. people from different cultural backgrounds or different experiences in life, um, you know, they have different patterns, different journeys. And so if those are clashing, it's, it's because they haven't really understood how to speak to one another. Right. And I think at the tap, the typical kind of scenario, if you're an orator and you're able to articulate and synthesize information and, and feed it back, that would be a party you, you want to be in mediation with. But let's talk with the, the person, and I, I was going to say guy or man, but it doesn't need not only be men that get aggressive. Um how do you deal with individuals like that um, to kind of put them into a space where they're using the logical part of their brain versus kind of react being that reactive kind of emotional part of the brain? What are there certain, I mean, you said you were, there's a lot of techniques that you use, or can you share one of those things that maybe you use? And I'm thinking for most of us, right, is that's not something that we all want to get better at when we deal with people that are overly aggressive or react, you know, quick to, quick to, quick to be a bit on the explosive end. Sure. I mean, often when people are very passionate or when they're describing 
the injustice that they feel, they obviously have a sense of heightened emotion and they can get quite vocal and aggressive because all their anger is, is coming out. So at that point, um, the, it, it, the um, techniques and tools that I use is to listen, to really listen to that person and, and help them to also feel that they are being listened to and acknowledge whatever they are feeling, because perhaps it may be something that they've never told anyone else or had the confidence to tell anyone else. So they may f and, and ensure that they are um, not feeling judged and allow them to have that time to say whatever it is they want to say mm -hmm. and give them that space. Silence is a pretty powerful tool. So allowing someone to Sometimes people haven't even, they've said it to themselves inside, but they have never heard themselves say it. So after right. sit, when they've actually heard what they've said, silence is actually quite a good tool to help them to reflect. Mm -hmm. The other thing um, I use is um, in, in terms of repeating back what they've said so that they under, so they are actually hearing the words that they've said and ask them, how do they feel about that? You know. Um, how do they, is that the, is that the, is that the right word, you know, um, mm -hmm. help them to, um, work through the, the emotion, the, the situation in a sense. And, and, you know, sometimes people need to just take a step back. Sometimes so, so, the emotions are so heightened that they need some time to pull back and to review through. It doesn't have to be sometimes, of course in certain circumstances, there may be time limits with mediation in order to, especially the commercial instance, where they want to get to a, a resolution because of, you know, it's impacting a project or it's impacting a deal. But um, perhaps when it comes to like um, employment disputes, mm -hmm. workplace disputes, I often um, give the parties a few days because uh, I often uh, interview and, and have individual sessions with the parties in dispute to understand from their point of view what's going on. And then I give them the time to reflect before we bring we come together as a group. Okay. And if you I find that once they've had the opportunity to have the tears, have the, the tissue box ready and to get everything out, actually, they feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just be, just being heard and being seen. Sometimes it's it's such a powerful thing um, to move along the process. It is often underestimated, but to actually give someone the space, a non-judgmental space, mm -hmm. to just be heard and just to listen and whatever it is they they feel inside. It's so powerful because often we have people that listen to us and then give us advice or give us contrary information. And, you know, that doesn't allow us to process whatever is going on inside. Mm -hmm. But um, through mediation as, as a facilitator, you know, it's a non-judgmental space. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content.
Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.